What's up, Bree? Praise your family and friends. We are back with another Bible study lesson for you. And as most of you all know, RPS vision for this year is pace to become. We are now in the second half of the year and we are talking about this word become. And this past Saturday, Angela Newsom has graced us with an amazing message, kicking off this become series, talking about the importance of being self-aware. So we really, truly hope and pray that after hearing this message, that it empowers you and it resonates with you. What uh, the Become series is going to be about. Um, and so uh, when we first started this year out, really last year when leadership came together, God gave us pace to become. And for the first half of the year, we've talked, we've talked a lot about pace, what it means to be at the pace of grace, what it means to walk with the Father at his pace and not our pace. And so as we come into the Become series, um, the word become itself can mean so many different things. And if you saw on the flyer, uh, we put a couple definitions on the flyer itself. But the one that hit us or hit me the most um, was to undergo change and development. And see, that's what this walk with Christ is all about, right? We're, we're trying to change and be developed into the character of Christ. Um, and so I just have a couple notes here that says, while pace is easy to define, become can be defined in many ways. Uh, as we become in many areas of our lives, those being the physical, the mental, the emotional, the social, the cultural, but most of all, the spiritual, um, there's a place in our lives when we have to undergo change, right? And so that is the target of this series. When we are pacing to become, we're trying to become everything that God has called us to, uh, not what we think we should do, but what God has said. And so with that uh, being said, I'll give the title of my uh my uh, teaching and it's called wake up become self-aware uh, and before I start into the lesson I have to give a major shout out to our leadership team um, on this past Wednesday we came together and built a message in all honesty you know I'm just the the messenger that's delivering it but it's, it is because of this team that I was able to put this message together in grace and knowing that God has spoken all through this message so we'll go ahead and get started um, I will say this, that we're going to be jumping into a lot of scripture. Uh, I will give some key points and some key scriptures at the end. Uh, in this moment, I just want us to listen and take in uh, what we're going to be talking about on self-awareness. So I want to start off with a question. So go ahead, get your keypads ready, get your phone ready, whatever you're on. So how many people believe that they truly know themselves and walk in self-awareness. Put a one in the chat for yes. Put a two in the chat for no. Put a three in the chat uh, if you're unsure. And I'll give y'all a couple seconds to go ahead and do that. Four, Roger I did not say four. I see some hey, more. Angie, I am so sorry. Can you repeat that for me? I, I am so sorry. <laughs> the question? So, okay. Yes, yes. How many people believe they truly know themselves and walk in self-awareness? Put a one in the chat for yes. Put a two in the chat for no. And put a three in the chat if you're unsure. All right, I see a lot of threes. I see some twos. I see a four from Ron. <laughs> Two and a half, okay. Three. All right. All right. So as we go through this message, I'm gonna give you some self-awareness checks. Uh, you don't necessarily have to type an answer in the chat, not a problem, not expecting that. Um, but this message is set for us to honestly do a heart check. And as I wrote this message, as God was bringing together what needed to be spoken, I had a, so much conviction. And I got to a place where, um, like many of you, when I first began to, to write the lesson, it was an unsure. And then I went to a yes. And then ultimately, I went to a no. So this message, as Kaya loves to say, is a me message, right? So let's define uh, self-awareness. Uh, the Oxford Dictionary says how an individual consciously knows and understands their own character, feelings, 
motives, and desires. I'll repeat that. How an individual consciously knows, and that word consciously is vital to understand. Uh, consciousness is being intentional in my choices, right? Where I know what I'm choosing to do. So it says how an individual consciously knows and understands their own character, feelings, motives, and desires. So in the discussion of self-awareness, it's important to understand that we must examine ourselves daily. It's not a, okay, I examine myself on Monday, that's going to carry me through the week. At all times, we have to be conscious of our self-awareness, right? So again, we mentioned earlier, we can look through self-awareness through the lens of the physical. I'm physically aware of what I have on right now. I'm physically aware that if I go and walk into traffic, that I will be hit by a car. I'm physically aware. Spiritually, am I aware? Do I know that what we see in the world right now is prophecy, right? Do I understand that spiritual warfare is the right thing? Do I understand when I'm going through spiritual warfare? And see, I wanna use Brittany because Brittany came and she is spiritually aware of what she's going on. So Brittany is the perfect example of what it looks like to know what you are, spirit, if you're spiritually aware or not. So let's talk about cultural and social, uh, socially. So culturally and socially, um, am I aware? Do I know that there's a lot of social culture or earthly culture uh, that conflicts with kingdom culture? Do I do what the world does or do I do what the kingdom has called me to do? Social and cultural awareness. And then we can talk about mental and emotional awareness, right? Um, do I understand when mentally or emotionally um, I'm broken or mentally and emotionally, do I understand where I am? Do I feel like the spirit of anxiety or the spirit of depression is trying to come against me? Can I identify that spiritual or no, excuse me, emotional and mental awareness? Um, but I don't expect everyone to take my word for it because right scripture says to know the word for ourselves. So, uh, at the end of this message, I'm going to give you five scriptures that will hit on each of the areas uh, of self-awareness that we have to use to examine ourselves. So, uh, so throughout this message, we're going to take a look at a couple of uh, very predominant figures in, uh, in the Bible. And I love, again, I got to shout out Brittany. She hit on Esther and the story of Esther is life-changing literally, not just for women of faith, but for men of faith too. So first we're going to go to Genesis chapter two, and we're going to look at um, Adam predominantly, but obviously Eve was a part of this too. So uh, we're going to start in Genesis chapter two, and we're going to start at verse 15. And so we know up to this point that God had created the world and he called it good. And on the seventh day he rested, but I'm not going to get into rest today. Um, so in chapter two, um, verse 15, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version, it says, the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord, uh, God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, shall you, you shall surely die. Um, and at the time, you know, I remember when I first read this and I'm like, what do you mean die? How are you going to, uh, you know, bring death to something that you created and called good, right? But at the what Adam didn't realize at the time was this was a spiritual death, which would turn into a physical death, right? So um, what I have here, it says Adam is placed in the garden, right? And God commanded him not to eat of the tree of knowledge and good of good and evil. Keep in mind, this command was given prior to Eve being created from the rib of Adam. Um, following this verse is when Eve is created. Um, so that should be something where sometimes the Lord may tell you something. And depending on if you're the leader, if you're the husband of the household, whatever it may be, you're going to be held accountable for that word, no matter what the people around you do, right? All right. So let's go to uh, verse 25 in chapter two. It says, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Uh, for me, this is very significant because it shows us 
the innocence that was created in man for one. But the second is, it's an awareness thing. They were not actually aware that they were naked. And that's clear. They felt no shame. What was nakedness at the time? That's how God created them. There was no need for an awareness of it because God called it good when he did it, right? So it's vital to understand that their lack of shame was not just from a physical perspective, but was also from a spiritual perspective. From the text, we can conclude, as I mentioned, that they were not physically aware that they were naked. So let's go into Genesis chapter three now. So we get a front row seat to the connection of spiritual and physical awareness in this text. The chapter teaches about the origin of sin. So this is the fall of man when the serpent is, offers Eve the fruit. And we can conclude that Adam was somewhere in the midst and he was also offered the fruit. Um, and from, from God's response later on, Adam was aware of what he was doing, right? So after Eve was deceived by Satan, and we can take that as a physical and a spiritual uh, deception simply because the fruit represented the sin that she was committing. But spiritually, Satan had her questioning the authority of God. Is what he said true? So in this instance, we can say she truly had no, she had a physical awareness, yes. Spiritually, she knew what God had said because of Adam, although he didn't say it directly to her, um, but, but she lacked a true spiritual awareness. So she and Adam had eaten of the fruit of the tree of knowledge and evil, and immediately they felt shame and they were aware of their nakedness. So how do we know this? Genesis 3, 8 through 12, and I'm going to read it real quick. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to me, uh, gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. All right. So at the point in which, and we're going to focus on Adam now, at the point of which Adam ate the fruit, and this applies to Eve too, his spiritual eyes were opened. And it brought on, and I, this is what I, this is what the Lord gave me at the time. The spiritual opening of their eyes brought on an emotional and mental shame about their physical state. I'll repeat that. The spiritual opening of their eyes brought on an emotional and mental shame about their physical state. They had become self-aware, both spiritually and mentally because of a physical choice. So from this interaction, God revealed to me that our spiritual awareness is always connected to a choice. It's never gonna be opposite of that, right? Um, so with that, again, and we'll see in some, some other texts we're gonna look at, uh, spiritual awareness will be tied to choices in different areas of our lives, right? The physical, the mental, the emotional, the social, and the cultural. So I have to ask a question about Adam. And I want you to think of this question and consider yourself because I think at times when I read scripture, I'm like, how could Adam do that? How could Eve do that? How could David do that? How could Peter do that? See, but I've been an Adam and an Eve. I've been a Peter, I've been a Paul, I've been a Pharisee, right? So I'm gonna ask this question. I want us to take a second to think about it. Was Adam self-aware of the posture of his own heart when he made an intentional choice to eat from the fruit God had commanded him not to eat from. Because see, he was the one that got the command directly from God. And not to say that Eve wasn't wrong, because obviously she was, but Adam made an intentional choice after he was commanded to do something. So I have to ask, if he was truly self-aware, would he have made that choice? All right, now let's go 
to the book of Esther. I love Esther. That's my girl. Um, as Brittany said, you could see the you could see the favor on her life from start to finish. So I'll give a little synopsis of the book of Esther for those who aren't familiar. Um, so Esther became the queen um, of King A. I'm going to say A because I can't pronounce that long name and I'm not even going to attempt uh, to butcher it. Um, he's been identified with King Xerxes, but that is not a proven fact. So I don't want to use the name King Xerxes. But in some translation of the Bible, you will see King Xerxes. Um, so Esther becomes the queen after uh, Queen Vashti refused the command of the king. So it was very common in that day for them to have feasts. And when the king told you to come in his presence, you came without delay. And so Queen Vashti did the opposite. Um, and within that disobedience, she was banned from his kingdom forever. So Esther was the cousin of, uh, of Mordecai. She was Mordecai's uncle's daughter. Um, and Mordecai adopted her after her parents died. Mordecai is a Jew. He's a Benj uh, Benjaminite, um, meaning she and Mordecai were both born Jews. Um, so as she's going into her queenship, Mordecai commanded that she not make her kindred, i.e. her roots, her culture being Jewish. He asked that she not make it known and she was obedient. So the book introduces us to a man named Haman. And this is the man that built the pole that Brittany spoke of. Uh, Haman was the, the king's right-hand man. They were thick as thieves. Uh, when Haman brought something to the king, it was almost as if he could sign off on it on his, uh, by himself. The king fully trusted Haman. Um, and he is the one that plots to kill the Jews in all of the provinces that uh, the king reigns over. The Bible says he reigned over 127 provinces. So let's say that's 127 uh, Houstons. That's a lot of people, right? That's hundreds of thousands, maybe up into the millions. So um, Haman wants to kill the Jews because Mordecai refuses to bow down to him and pay homage to him. And there's a lesson in that that we won't get into today. But Mordecai was 100% aware, especially spiritually, of what it meant to bow down and to pay homage to someone other than the Lord. And he refused, which resulted in a plot against the Jews to kill them all, right? So um, Haman brings this proposal to the king and says, hey, I want to kill these people um, because they practice a religious uh, they're a part of a, a religious culture that does not agree with what we do, right? And the significance of this is Haman convinced the king to sign the decree and seal it with his signet ring. In these times when something was sealed with a signet ring, it was the seal of the king. It meant that it could not be revoked, not even by the king. So once the signet ring and the seal was upon this decree, there was no turning back, right? So Mordecai discovers the plot and he brings the news to Queen Esther, right? So Queen Esther has favor in the eyes of the king. We know this through the text. And obviously we're not gonna get all the way into the text. Um, but if you go back and read uh, Esther, it's only about 10 chapters, not very long. You will see how much favor she truly has. So Mordecai brings the news to Queen Esther and requests that she beg and plead with him on behalf of her people. So to this request, Esther replied, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes before the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except to the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. So at this point in the story, I had to ask the Lord, I said, was she aware of what was going on? She was absolutely aware of the physical danger that his request would put her in. But we will see in Mordecai's response to what she says about, you know, this is going to put me in danger if I go before him and he doesn't hold out this golden scepter, right? She was going to be killed. How many times has the Lord asked us to do something and we've not done it because of our fear? as we've talked about this morning, our fear of being laughed at, our fear of being persecuted, 
our fear of being judged, whatever it may be, will that hold me back from what God has told me to do? So let's fast forward. So um, Mordecai warns her that living in silence in the king's palace did not exempt her from being killed amongst uh, the other Jews, that people would find out who she was. And from that, she didn't need to hear anymore. So I love that the Lord will give us and always send us a reminder and a messenger of what we should be planted on, right? I love that about this text. Mordecai gave her the warning and she took heed. As we go down further in the text, Esther calls a fast. And this is when I key in on, okay, you have a spiritual awareness of what is required of you to make a choice. So before she ever made the choice, she sought out the Lord. How many of us can say that we do that? There's many times that I've done things in my life. I've bought expensive things. I've gone certain places that the Lord never called me to, to never called me to do. And we have to ask ourselves this question as we uh, evaluate our self-awareness, right? So at this point, uh, we can say that spiritually, she was absolutely self-aware after the reminder. And sometimes, again, we're going to need that reminder. So when the Lord sends a Sean or a Kaya or a Shay or a Geo or a Ham or a Jorian, you got to be okay with that, right? We can't go into a fence when someone is a, a well aware of what they see we're doing, right? So again, I just love the way that the Lord plans this outright. And I love the way that Tony Evans described her awareness. He said she knew the heighten, uh, she knew to heighten her spiritual awareness and that she needed divine insight on how to proceed. So a lot of times in our lives, and I don't want to get too deep into it, we know that we have a difficult choice to make and we have 10 options on the table. Have I stopped to include the Lord intentionally? Have I included the Lord in my intentional choices? And for me, I can say for many years, it was a no. It was a hard no. I was on the go. I knew I, I knew I could plan my life out. I knew I could do what I wanted to do. And then when I was in a pit or I was in a ditch or I didn't know where to go, then I was ready to seek the Lord. Lord, help me. I should have been doing that all along, right? And so um, Tony Evans goes on to say, the human king had forbidden her to approach him uninvited, but her heavenly king had called her to a higher standard, right? So I, wanted to, I want us to take a moment to think about that. How many times have we let the priorities of the world trump our priorities in the kingdom? And for me, <laughs> countless times, right? Shay and I, uh, Shay, Elaine and I had a discussion about this last night where the Lord is calling us to greater. He's calling us to a higher standard so that when we are seeing the prophecy and revelation fulfilled, if we are still here, that we are planted firm on a solid foundation, right? That we won't be easily tricked. Our faith won't fail us, right? So we're going to look at Esther's response in Esther 4 and 16. She makes a very bold and dynamic statement, statement, and it's only a couple words. So she calls the fast. She's well aware. She's physically and spiritually aware of where she's at. And she says, if I perish, I perish. How powerful is that? How many times can we say that I'm willing to put my life on the line for the kingdom of God? Not that God is calling everyone to do that, but I'm willing to put my reputation on the line when God asked me to do something. I'm well aware of what that's gonna mean for me emotionally, mentally, socially, culturally, especially in the world that we live in today. The things of God are reprimanded no matter where you go from end to end of this earth. But if am I willing to say, if I perish, I perish. That's a bold statement. And it's a statement that you have to speak in faith. That's not something that we can be willy nilly about, right? If I lose the job for preaching the word of God, if I perish, I perish. If I lose the friend group for choosing kingdom culture over worldly culture, if I perish, I perish, right? That for me, that was a major hit to my heart, man. Real talk. Self-awareness check. 
Can you remember a time when God called you to a higher standard for kingdom purposes? How did you respond? With obedience or with disobedience? Would you have considered yourself spiritually aware at the time? You don't have to put that answer in the chat, obviously. That's just a heart check for us. So the story goes on and Esther goes on to win the favor of the king, which ultimately results in the death of Haman and the relief and de deliverance of all Jews in the provinces of the king. This story for me was a great representation of what stepping into awareness looks like. Sometimes we need the reminder and that's why we've been called to community, right? That's why the Lord has placed us in certain churches. He's placed us in certain ministries, right? All right, so now we're gonna move on to my boy, David, the man after God's own heart. You know, we hear about a lot of the wins that David had and to be called a person, a man after God's own heart is a heavy thing to carry, right? So a portion of his story uh, gives us a look at uh, what it means to be self-aware, yet not self-aware. So let's uh, take a quick look at 2 Samuel 11, and that's the story of David and Bathsheba. Uh, so in this story, at the beginning of chapter 11, David bows out from going to war with his troops. He wasn't in the place he was supposed to be. We learn that later. Um, so let's read 2 Samuel 11, 2 through 5. It said, it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from a roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her and she came to him and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from uncleanliness. Then she returned to her house and the woman conceived and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So this one, as we go through the story, you will understand what we mean when we say to be self-aware, but not self-aware, right? So after receiving this news, as you go through Samuel chapter 11, we see that David is trying to hide what he had done. Um, so instead of seeking to stop the damage that he had caused uh, through repentance, he made it imminently worse by intentionally choosing to hide what he had done, right? Imagine trying to hide as the king, right, what you had done. And mind you, when the king asked you to do something, as we saw in the story of Esther, you did it. There was no question about it. There were no if, ands, or buts about it, or it was your life, right? So when we think about the things in this world where we wanna be rich, right? We wanna have money. Are we willing to do it unethically? Are we willing to put the word to the side to get these things that we want, right? Um, and for me, it was another heart check. I'm like, Lord, how many times have I tried to hide sinfulness. And it's not even about hiding it from man. Imagine trying to hide things from God, the one who sees all, hears all, and knows all. Um, when you say it out loud, it sounds, it sounds kind of crazy, but it's almost as worse as trying to hide things from the people you're supposed to be over, right? So David tries to, he brings Uriah back from the battle while his, you know, his, his uh, fellow soldiers, his fellow troops are still out there to get Uriah to sleep with his wife, to get him out of this hole he had dug, right? But Uriah was faithful and honorable to those whom he served and served with. So he refused to sleep with his wife. How many times can we say we've gotten desperate to hide sin, right? And so that, that is what I see as I continue to read down 2 Samuel chapter 11. David just becomes more and more desperate and every choice he makes is intentional. We don't try to hide something that we know is right. We try to hide things that we know are wrong, right? So he was, he was fully aware of the physical sin he committed, and partially aware 
of the spiritual sin that he had committed, right? So he had gotten so desperate that he sent an order to have Uriah put on the forefront of the troops. The first place that most people at that time, and obviously today too, if you're at the forefront, if you're at the front of the troop, it's most likely that you will be the first to die. And it happened. He, he put him in a place where he could be killed in action. And he did just that. And Uriah was killed in battle. So David, again, made an intentional choice, meaning he was aware of the wrong he was doing from beginning to end. It teaches us that being self-aware in our sin is a real thing, especially for the Christian, obviously, right? That conviction you feel is because you were aware of what you were doing. You were aware of the choice you were making. So we can conclude through David's scheming, because it was a scheme, he was a schemer at this point for this uh, portion of his life. Uh, and through his intentional choices that he was both mentally, emotionally, socially, culturally, and physically aware of what he had done. However, his story with Bathsheba proves that he lacked a portion of spiritual awareness in what he was doing now. So if we know the story of David, we know that, again, he was called a man after God's own heart. He sought out the Lord in everything he did up until this point. And sometimes our flesh will do that. It's just human nature, unfortunately, right? Sometimes our lust can trump every other spiritual uh, you know, emotion or awareness that we feel. Sometimes, you know, our flesh will lead our tongue to say things that we shouldn't say, right? When we get upset, when we get angry, but we have to maintain a spiritual awareness. So we'll do another self-awareness check. How many times have you intentionally and knowingly sinned or done wrong and then attempted to hide your sin? I don't have enough fingers and toes to count for myself, <laughs> if I'm being honest. All right, so let's fast forward to 2 Samuel 12. We're introduced to the prophet, my man, Nathan, right? Um, and God would use Nathan to confront David and to put him into a place of spiritual awareness. And again, I have to hit on the point that I love how the Lord will always send a reminder and send a messenger of correction when we have fallen. And as Christians, again, we have to stop moving in offense. We have to accept the correction and we have to know that our community of people, and obviously you have to use wisdom, you have to use uh, understanding and you have to know the word to know if you're being led towards the Lord or away from the Lord, right? Um, but I love that the Lord, you know, did this again. David was no exception, even as the man after God's own heart. The Lord was willing to send him a messenger of correction with hopes of accepting that correction, right? So I'll read uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 14 real quick. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb and uh, which he had bought. And he brought it up and he grew it up with, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare the guests who had come to him but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die and shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, 
I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? Have you struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites? Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up great evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun, for you did it secretly, but I will do things before all of Israel and before the sun. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die, nevertheless, because this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord. The child who was born to you shall die. So through David's response in verse 13, it was an immediate move similar to Esther into spiritual awareness of what he had done. And I truly believe that the Lord's mercy and his grace here is because David chose to step into spiritual awareness and knew that the consequences would be what the consequences would be. He didn't try to refute um, what the Lord has spoken. Even through the time when the child, the first child was born of Bathsheba and he prayed for the child's health and the child died, he never cursed the Lord. He never was upset with the Lord. So through his story, we have to remember two things. We can be self-aware and not be self-aware. And the second, as we mentioned earlier, our choices are tied directly to our self-awareness. All right. So the last person we're gonna talk about is Peter. And I'm sure we're all you know, familiar with Peter, formerly known as Simon, and one of Jesus's disciples, the one closest to him. So we're going to jump to Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 34, and I'll read it for us real quick. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, to have you, that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you to both prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you have known me. So this dialogue between Jesus and Simon Peter has always intrigued me because initially when I read this text, uh, Luke chapter 22, uh, verses 31 through 34, Destiny. Um, so as I as I read this text, you know, earlier in my walk, I'm like, you know, he was ready to go to bat for Jesus. And I get, you know, I understood the pressure that he was under uh, when he denied Christ. And a lot of times in our lives, we may not have done it with our words, but we've done it with our actions. And so as I was studying for this lesson and to bring this message, the Lord intrigued me in a new way. And he, and he identified a spirit of pride and a spirit of overconfidence. And it's nothing wrong with being confident in Christ. Don't get me wrong. Um, but there comes a time, and as we break this last piece of text down uh, that we just read, you'll understand a little bit better what I'm saying. So Peter's response to Jesus revealed to me he had a very emotional attachment to Christ where, you know, Lord, I'm willing to die for you. I'm willing to go to prison for you. And we have to understand that he was confident, he was confident of who he was with Christ. Um, and honestly, I can say he likely could not have imagined failing Jesus or uh, <clears throat> portraying Jesus in the way that he would. And a lot of us feel the same, you know, when we're first walking into uh, Christianity, we're very, you know, uh, we're very zealous, we're very happy, we're very joyful. And then we hit that first roadblock and we don't know where to go, we don't know where to turn. And so let's take a quick moment to look at verse 31 real quick. Uh, again, it says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have, uh, and I'm going to stop right there. Yeah. 
So keep in mind that at this time, Jesus is preparing for death, but we have to also remember that he is preparing Peter to be the leader of the church, to be the leader of uh, the disciples. And, and we understand, we'll understand that a little more in a second. So I want us to also take a moment to imagine that Jesus was walking the earth right now, right? And being selected as one of 12 to do life with Jesus, right? So we talk a lot about doing life together in repray share. So imagine Jesus says, come follow me to you. You're one of the 12. You're in the inner circle. And, you know, I use that term where the Lord loves us all the same. But there's something different. And our friends usually love us the same too. But there's something about being in the inner circle and getting to know people intimately, getting to know people in their vulnerabilities, right? So it's an honor. You know, if, if this were me, I would see it as an honor and privilege, you know. But at the same time, it is a very heavy responsibility to carry. You know, I can say for myself that as a leader in a ministry, um, I'm very mindful of how I think. I'm mindful of how I speak. I'm mindful of what I post. I'm mindful about the things that I allow myself to watch, to listen to. It's, it's a big thing because as, as leaders, and this is for everyone, whether you're a leader in your job, whether you're a leader in your home, whether you're a leader in a ministry, whatever it may be, it, stop, it usually starts at the top. So if I come to read, pray, share, nasty with a bad attitude, unaware of how I'm truly spiritually affecting the people that God has called me to lead over, there's a problem, right? <clears throat> and so, you know, a note I have here is that I must admit, if I were Peter, I, I would have likely tried to show Christ that I was committed to him to death as well. Because there's a when we think about this again, I have to repeat that it's different when you walk with someone up to death, like, let's just be honest. And so I would have done the same. I would have tried to prove quote unquote to God that, or to Jesus, that I'm willing to go through this with you. <clears throat> and so now we have to get back to the text. Imagine Jesus coming face to face with you and telling you, Satan has demanded to have you, right? To sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. So as I was reading this scripture, my spiritual antenna went haywire. <clears throat> and as I mature in Christ, the Lord has continued to make me more spiritual aware to what's going on around me overall when I overhear conversations, when I see symbolism in music and in industry and whatever may be, our spiritual antenna have to go haywire, literally. So we understand what is being presented before you. So if Jesus were telling you that Satan had demanded to have you and that he had prayed for your faith, you'd think that you'd step into a place of spiritual awareness in that moment and that your spiritual awareness would be heightened. But for Peter, this wasn't the case because he tried to show his confidence in his relationship with Christ. So striving to become who we think God created us to be um, is not where God has called us to. He has called us to be who he says we should be. So we must keep in mind again also that Jesus's prayer for Peter was that his faith may not fail him, not that he wouldn't fail. And there's a difference between the two, right? I want to repeat that. Jesus's prayer for Peter was that his faith may not fail him, not that he, he wouldn't fail. And there's, again, a major difference between failure and your faith failing, right? So, you know, I may not get the job. I may not get the house. I may not get the the whatever it may be right but do I lose my faith in the Lord due to my lack of spiritual awareness due to my lack of emotional and mental awareness we have to ask ourselves so Peter's emotional attachment to Christ led him to feel he'd go to the ends of the earth for Christ even if it meant death however <laughs> 
Jesus knew he'd fail in his faithfulness, not his faith. And that was due to his lack of spiritual awareness. Jesus wasn't telling him, I'm praying for you just to say it, right? So lacking this area of awareness made his flesh very frail. Um, so what I love most about this verse um, is that he says, and you have, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And so although Peter was not spiritually aware in the moment, Jesus still had a plan for him to become. And that's what I love most. And that's why I saved Peter for last. This was preparation for him to become well aware of where he was spiritually so that he could lead the other disciples. So <clears throat> as I mentioned earlier, we have to pay close attention to what he says here. He stated, when you have turned again, not if, but when, knowing that, that Peter would fail, but that he would turn from that failure and still have faith in who he was and who God had called him to be. <clears throat> so in Luke 54, 62, and I'm not gonna read it, we get a seat at the table of self-awareness with Peter. And we see that in his moment of betrayal, he truly becomes self-aware that he, he ends up going off after denying Jesus for the third time to, uh, he, he goes off and he weeps and he's sad. And he realizes in that moment what Jesus had said. And then we get the privilege in John 21, 15 through 19 um, of witnessing Peter become through the redemption and love of Jesus. And I'm not gonna read that portion of scripture. Uh, so in the same way, Jesus had a plan for Peter to become. He has a plan for us to become, but we must begin with self-awareness. So I'll leave y'all with a few key points and a few key scriptures. So the first scripture is Proverbs 21 and two. And if you have your pencil, your tablet, this would be the time to start writing. <clears throat> so Proverbs 21 and two, this is the English standard version and we can apply this to physical, social, cultural and spiritual awareness. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. The second scripture is 1 Timothy 4 and 16. The physical, and this touches on our physical and spiritual awareness. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And that also goes with social awareness. Jeremiah 17 and nine, and this has been one of my favorite scriptures since I was a young uh, child in the faith. And this goes with emotional, mental, and spiritual awareness. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? The next scripture is Romans 12, one through three. And this hits on cultural, social, and spiritual awareness. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And last but not least, Revelation 3, 1 through 3. And this is where the title of my message came from. Shout out to Jorian. Uh, the physical, and this hits on the physical, social, cultural, and spiritual awareness. And it reads, and to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, 
I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. And I'll go through the key points real quick. And if anyone wants notes, just drop um, a message in the group me um, and I will send them out. And so key point number one, you can be self-aware and not be self-aware. I'll say that again. You can be self-aware and not be self-aware. Key point number two, being self-aware in our flesh is a real thing. Being self-aware in our flesh is a real thing. Point number three, self-awareness requires daily intentionality, not weekly, not monthly, not yearly, daily. Key point number four, our choices, both public and private, shout out to Kaya, truly reveal the weaknesses and strengths in our self-awareness. I'll read that one more time. Our choices, both public and private, truly reveal the weaknesses and strengths in our self-awareness. And key point number five, and this is something that my girl Tosh that I go to church with, uh, me, her, and Bonna are very close. Uh, she gave me this in all honesty. The more we know and understand God, the more we will know ourselves. Trust what God is telling and revealing to you about yourself. And I'll leave us with one question to ponder on. If I believe I have myself together at all times, i.e. no changes are required in my self-awareness to become, where can God truly add and correct my life? I thank y'all for your time. I thank y'all for sticking with me as we jumped and bounced through so many parts of the Bible. And I pray that uh, Holy Spirit transform each of us this week. And I'll turn it back over to Kaya or Sean. That was amazing, Angie.